Hey, uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the opportunity to worship you in song, Lord, and to just say those words over and over again, which are so true, that you are mighty, and what a mighty God we serve. And I pray, uh, Lord, as we do that, we don't do that just out of ritual. We do that, and we pray that we want to agree with you, and we want to have you prepare our hearts to open up your holy word. And to learn more about who you are and to be encouraged to fight the fight of faith well. So would you do that, Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us right now? Holy Spirit, bring glory to Christ and work in this room. and Use the holy word to minister to your people. And would you graciously use me um, as I desire to uh, be a servant leader, Lord? Would you give me that grace uh, to put down my pride and to exalt your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, so have, be pleased to be seated and grab your Bibles. If you, hopefully there's a couple in the, in the pews. Um, we are in Exodus chapter 30. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, let me help with that real quick. Okay. Excuse me, let me get pass it in if you whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. You should remember this. This is we did this a little grip ago, right? So uh so we're in Exodus 30 family. Uh we we are we are going through the book of Exodus. As you know, as a local community, we go through books of the Bible. Um the words will be on the screen for you, uh, but we want to encourage you to, to actually, you know, open up the word and just get used to navigating through the scriptures. Um, also, if you need a Bible for your home, we would love to let us know because we want you to be equipped with that. You need a Bible? If there's none there, if we need Bibles, you can raise your hand. Hopefully, we can give a few more to you. Somebody in the body can help you. Thank you so much. Um, And make sure you guys, okay, so I'm going to need you guys, though, as you open up that word, make sure you're quiet, okay, so I can make sure your guys' word is, is, is brought forth, all right? Thank you so much. All right, guys, so as a, as a local community, um, we would love to ask, you can ask questions, as you know, because we're talking about uh, a lot of things that are past our, our intellect. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, so please feel free to do that. So we, want, we don't want you just to get smarter here. We want you to actually exalt the Lord, uh, so we don't want you to get smart, but that be predicated on the fact that you would want to exalt Christ, so... I'm really excited about this text. Um, you guys should be too because I believe that um, after this chapter, we, we move, basically this is the last chapter um, that's discussing uh, the whole framework of, of temple rules and things of that sort. So at least um, you guys have been really gracious, but we're going to move into another piece of what's going on in the narrative. So hopefully that excites you. But, uh, but I hope we can close this thing off well. There's 38 verses, so um, let's walk through this. And what I want to do is I want to give you kind of the overarching framework of what's going on, and then hopefully I can keep saying it over and over again. We talked about it briefly last week. Why is God doing all this? Why is he providing all these rituals? Why is he asking uh, these people to do these things, uh, all these specific things? And there was many different reasons, reasons for this, but I wanted to provide the overarching reason, and I want that to sink into our mind because I even propose that this text here is trying to solidify that one last time. And that is Yahweh, God himself, 
has brought a people out of Egypt. He's made them his own. And what he's continually trying to say to them is you are my people. You are my people. You belong to God. You are God's child. So all the things that I'm asking you to do are all to help you understand who I am, basically whom you serve, so you can understand how to respect me and honor me and worship me. But in doing that, what you're saying, the implication is that you belong to God. That you don't belong to Satan. That God has purchased you. He has cleansed you. He has atoned for you. This is what all that's has. So what's going on in all these texts? And so as we look at this text, I want you to keep that in your mind and think about that. I am God's child. I am God's child. And then I want you to do something even more. I want you to continue to practice the application behind that. Because I think we missed something. I think we say we're God's child, but I think it's difficult to apply that. How do you apply? Okay, I'm God's child. Now what? How do you really apply that? Where it sinks into your heart and it actually motivates and changes the way you do life. So this kind of, we're going to try to work at that a little bit today. That's what we're going to do, okay? Let's start with verse 1. Look what he says. So we've again, he's, he's gone through all these different rituals. Uh, we, we, we looked at him t- just telling us how, he, how, they cre- how they were put to create the robe. Then we looked last week and we see the, uh, the insufficiencies of the priest and how they need to be cleansed as well. And now we're here. And he starts talking about uh, furniture pieces again, right? And that's interesting because it's almost like the, it's the leftovers. Because we already talked about furniture a while ago, right? And then we talked about dress. And now we're back into furniture. And so I want you to think about that. Why does he do that? Why does he come back to this? I want to say it's, it's for a specific reason. All right, we got a lot of text here. I might not read the last piece, but I think I'll read the first, first portion here. It's a lot, so give us some grace here. Verse 1, he gives these instructions regarding the altar of incense. Now, I'm assuming you guys, hey guys, I'm assuming you guys are reading the text, okay? Remember? So I'm not going to read it all, but I'm I'm assuming you have. Hey, I'm going to pause. This is uh, Jake's family, and you guys know Jake and Whitney. You know they've suffered a great loss. Just want you to know we love you guys. So we're in Exodus chapter 30, we're looking at verse 1, and, and, and what, what, what God is doing through all of these rules, through all of these rituals, is he's reminding us. He's trying to get into the minds of these people who are around all, poly, all this polytheism, all this different worship of all these different false gods, and he's, he's trying to take them through detox, and he's trying to teach them what does it mean to be his people. And he's saying, in doing that, what he's really wanting to solidify in their hearts is that you belong to God. Verse 1, You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its weight. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top 
and around its size and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. Verse 4, and you shall make the two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet you. Verse 7. And Aaron shall burn a fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Right? Verse 9. You shall unauthorized, unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or offering. And you shall not pour on it and make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement he shall why keeps going in and out I know you're not doing anything he's like I'm man I'm sorry it's not you James you're awesome man just pray that the Holy Spirit allows his word to go forth even with messed up technology with the blood of the sin offering of atonement he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations it is most holy to the Lord, right? So notice uh, the approach into the mercy seat. Um, notice that. You have the bronze altar first, right? So, so basically what would happen is you would have in a nutshell, the, 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 the people would walk into uh, the tabernacle and they would get to uh, the, the altar of sacrifice. And this is where they would actually sacrifice the animals, and, you know, we family here, so if you can't see, you can stand up and look, or you can come down here, you know, that's all right. So they would sacrifice the animals, okay? Uh, then they would come in, and the priests would actually, after the sacrifice, they would wash themselves. It would be ceremonially washed. Um, and then they would enter into uh, the holy place, and they would actually, as far as provide incense, right? So, so no, and remember we talked about, now, now, these are bronze, and then when you get to the, the, the altar of incense, it's gold. You remember what we talked about, why that's the case? Somebody blurt it out. Yeah, God is trying to make a real simple point there, is that the materials that are furthest away from me are more, they're not as expensive, they're not as ornate, and that the closer you get to God, the more pure the materials are. And so that everything that's happening within the tabernacle has significant meaning to the worth of God. So that's what's happening there. Right? And so what, so this is talking about the altar of incense. Let me explain a few things of the altar of incense, guys. Let's make sure we're on the same page. First, the altar of incense spoke of the presence of God. Right? We see that, right? Because you have the smoke going up. And it's kind of reminding me of the, the pillar of the cloud, right, that would, that would follow, that would be with the Israelites. Uh, so so it, it reminded people that God is with them. Uh, it reminded them of the visible manifestation of God, just like in a wilderness. Secondly, what, what this, this, this altar of incense does is it speaks of his pleasure in and acceptance of the people. He's satisfied with the people, Right? And so it's showing you that when you, when you saw this, this smoke going up, it, it reminded the people that actually God has received this, 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 this prayer. This, he's, he's, he's pleased with them that now he's, he's with them. He's with his people. We're going to get to why this, why this makes, why is this important? 
that God is drawing near. It's an indication that he's taking pleasure over the sacrifice. But the clearest thing that this means, and we probably, you've probably heard this, but if, you, if you've not, it's very important for you to understand, is that this is the prayers, right? This is to model the prayers of the priests, that uh, they're representative of the prayers for the people. Okay? So the altar of incense, really, when you think of the incense, when you think of that, you, you should be thinking of prayers. Uh, that is a, it's a symbol of a, a visible marker of, of prayer for God's people going up to God. That's what this means. And we see this all around the scripture. Write these addresses down. If you look at Luke chapter 1, uh, that's how Zechariah is talking about that. And the people are talking about that. So it's normal that the sense of prayer accompanies when you're thinking of incense. You look at Psalm 142, it talks about that. But here are a few of my favorite verses. Um, uh, Hebrews 9.24 says, for Christ has entered. I love this. Check this out. So it, it means prayer. Uh, let me save Hebrews 9 for one moment. I just wanna, let me go to Revelation 5. Look what it says. And, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the, the, the picture is that when you see these, incense, these guys burning these incense and they're to do it daily, right? It's, it's, it's reminding the people of God that now you have that, that basically the prayers of the people of God are, are, are going before Yahweh and that he's receiving them. And then you look at Revelation 5, 8, and then you couple that with Revelation 8, verse 3, and look what it says. It says, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Why is this important? You know why it's important? I want you to miss this. So we see this sense of prayers but I wanted to bring it to the New Testament because that's what we are, New Testament people. And I want you to see what God was already trying to do back then. He was trying to remind the people that your prayers are powerful, that he hears your prayers. But then if you didn't know that, what he does in Revelation, he does something even more powerful. He shows in Revelation that you have the marginalized. You have the people who are seemingly insignificant. Uh, they're being persecuted. And God is saying in the text that those same people, actually their prayers are going before the Lord as a beautiful aroma. And as it were, is actually changing the destiny of this cosmic world. Think about that. That's what he's saying to you and me. He's saying that those prayers, it says, it says that, hey, the scroll, it says they open up the scrolls, they open up the seals, and guess what? In doing so, the, pray, the prayers went up. And what he's saying there is that the scroll, that the seal was broken, the scroll was basically, as it were, saying, here's the destiny of the world. Here's what's going on in the world. And now you have those prayers going up. So as it were, what he's saying is that those prayers are actually affecting actually what God is doing in the world when he's redeeming the world and saving the world for his people. That your prayers matter that much. It just, it excites me. What's, what's John's point there? And notice something, notice something. Now, now don't, don't miss this. Notice there's a distinction between the altar of sacrifice and the altar of incense. Do you know why? Think about it. And notice how normal, I mean, I love it. Everything's really normal, right? It's what we would do if we, were, if we were God. He's saying, guess what? You can't come and offer me prayers 
until you've been atoned for. You can't come and offer me prayers until you've been cleansed. You can't come and have your prayers be received until you've been washed. So you first need to shed blood. Blood has to be shed. God says, I want you to understand your sinfulness, my perfection, and I need you to shed that blood. And wait a minute, you can't, you're not going to shed the blood, but you can't just walk all up on me, buddy. Right? What we now need to do is you need to cleanse so you have the ceremonial cleansing. I don't get ahead of myself, but then you walk in and now you're able to offer your prayers to the saints. Do you see? Do you see that story we told in Jesus? Do you see it? Does it excite you? There's a distinction between the altar of sacrifice and the altar of incense for a reason, family. You can write this address down. Let me see if I have it here. Hebrews 7.24 and Romans 8.34 uh, talks about this, this piece. And, uh, and I hope, you, I hope the, 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 the conclusion is, oh, my goodness, now do you see why we should pray? If what I'm saying is true, and it is, right, <laughs> then think about it. If you're Satan... And you know that, man, when, when the people of God pray, it's literally God it's, in his greatness. He, he uses it to, to do these things in our world to, to navigate the saints and protect the saints and, and to allow the martyr saints. That's us because we've died in Christ to allow us to, as it were, be validated in the world to be judged. If you knew that, that every time you prayed, you really are just... Man, you're just giving Satan a big punch in the belly. And you're Satan, what would you do? Now do you see why your prayer life's a struggle? Now do you see why it's hard to pray? Because it's a discipline. Because what you're doing is you're truly battling in the cosmic realm. In the realm of the unseen. You can't see it, but man, things are... Daniel 10 talks about this. Check out Daniel 10. What does it say in the Bible? It says, it says Daniel 10, it says Daniel was praying, right? And it says, but man, he was like, well, where, my, where are my prayers answered? What's going on? Where the prayers at? Check this out. This is, this is Eric's version. What, where God gonna do, what is God going to do his thing? And the scripture says what? It says, it says guess what? They looked... And they saw the angel fighting with the demon over the prayers. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. I was a bit here earlier, but I got into a squabble. And so I had to, I, I, I was fighting the dude, and now I got the prayers to where they need to go. So now you're okay. Think about that. I mean, that blows me away. Romans 8 talks about the same thing, that when we pray, that man, that God takes our weak prayers and then he empowers them with the Holy Spirit and makes our prayers strong and then it goes to Jesus and then he communicates the heart of the people of God to the Father. That happens every time you pray. Every time you pray. There's something that's going on like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going forward, but I just, I hope, I want to motivate us to be praying people. That's why we do our prayer cards. That's why, you know, I want us to have, to, my, 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 my dream is for us to have people praying here all the time. I want to challenge you. You want to start a prayer movement in our local body, please. Okay. 
So that's one of the main reasons we worship in that way, guys. Hey, check this out. So, so here, here's, here, here's this point with all that. Here's this point. You're my child. You're my child. That's the whole point of the altar of incense. You're, you're my child. Guess what? You have access to the throne of grace. You belong to me. Okay, we're going to pause. What does that mean? What does that mean? How do I apply that? And let's talk about that in a moment. Verse 11 through 16. He, he then talks about this census to be taken in verses 11 through 16. You guys know what a census is? I don't, for the sake of time, I won't read through it, but I'll trust you to read it later. There's two reasons why you take a census. So it's, it's taxation or you're going to war. Okay? And make sure you read this text. It's very important because here's the concept. Here's the concept he's trying to teach the people of God. So he starts off by talking about the altar of incense. Then he says, hey, now I want you to pay this tax. And it's actually a, a ransom tax. Uh, ransoms for one's life is a, is a concept that's used in verse 12. You can circle that in your Bible. You see that? You see it says ransom for the life to the Lord. You see that? This was a payment through which symbolically it bought, it bought the life back of a person back to, uh, from God. Because God owns us. God's like, hey, you're mine. And then you do this, he, you, you buy your life back. Now, what do you mean? Why, what, am I, what are you talking about, Eric? Well, it's symbolic. His point is twofold. First, that God wants to remind you and me that he owns us. He owns our life. Now, you hear that, and you know, in our world, in our culture, nobody owns me. I'm my own person. And, you know, you get all, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds like, like, you know, like, like, man, like suffocating. But, but, but think about it, you know. You know, it, it, it only really matters who your owner is, really, if it's suffocating. I think of this. I hope this is the Holy Spirit, not bad pizza. But um, I think of the Buckleys. We have friends. They're the Buckleys. They live in Cincinnati. Very wealthy family. Okay? Now, if, I, if my family back in the day owned you and you were a little doggy, you might struggle. Okay? Because we didn't have no dough. We didn't have resources. The Buckleys... I tell you, I think their dog eat better than me. Right? They got, he got their own little house thingy. I mean, they treat this dog like it is a person. Okay? Right? And so, so guess what? I propose to you, if he was hanging out with other dogs, he's probably pretty glad that the Buckley's is his master. And he's not balking the trend. He's not like, no, I want to be free. Other dogs are like, man, let's go, man. Like Madagascar, let's go and let's find our, where we, our destiny. He's like, I'm cool here, brother. I'm cool here, right? It depends on who your master is. You know what I'm saying? And so, so it might, guess what? If your master is evil and selfish, right, and, and versus loving and sacrificial who would actually be murdered for you, who owns, and, and is, and owns everything, has all power, and is dedicated for your delight and his glory, I think you want to be under that rule. Right, so I just want to make sure we have that we have not an American concept when we think of ownership, but we have a biblical concept of a good, sovereign, awesome God who says, "I'm your owner. I own you." So the first thing is that God owns the life of His people, and by the way, He could have destroyed us, but He didn't because of our own rebellion. Second thing is that God not only owns the life of His people, but He wants to He. he, he uh, he, 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 he basically he could have loosed you, right? But instead, he generously uh, gave. He could have kept 
like when you, when you, he could have kept us. But what he does is he loses you to go do your freedom, right? And then he basically just says, I'm going to free you to, to know that I own you, but I want you to be free and you're going to be under my protection. Now, how do I explain that? I, I was talking to Sarah, like, how do I explain that concept? Because it sounds kind of weird. I free you, but I own you, but you're under my protection. And it's, and it's like, well, what was God doing? Why did he do that? And it reminds me of something that I do all the time, and maybe you do this too. I think people do this. We want, we are, we, and this is not God, this is us. We're kind of, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're not, we're, we're really only selfish when people act like they own stuff that is ours. Let me explain what I mean. How do I explain this? It's like uh, we were talking about if you go, to, you go to a beach. I don't know if you've ever done this. You're at the beach, right? And, you know, you're hanging out and all your toys are everywhere. Maybe you got to have kids. And then someone comes over and starts playing with your stuff. Well, it'll happen one day, I promise. <laughs> think about this normally in your own life. I, I want to think about one more practical for you guys. I got five kids, so that's my whole life, right? And, and guess what? So someone comes over. Now, here's the issue. Here's the issue. I'm immediately like... Hey, that's, that's, excuse me, sir, that's our stuff, right? Soon as they acknowledge it, soon as they go, oh, yeah, that's yours, I'm sorry, yeah, I know. I go, okay, you can play with it. <laughs> How many of us do that, right? You, it's like I wasn't really mad. See, I, as soon as he acknowledged that he, knew, he and I knew it was mine, I was like, go ahead and play with it. But I just wanted to make sure you and I knew that's my stuff. You ever had that, right? You know, you, you, oh, you're in my seat. Oh, those are my, I mean, you can sit right there, too. I, I get another one. It's okay. As soon as they not, oh, yeah, you were sitting there. Yeah, I was sitting there. But I find another one. It's okay. As long as you knew that was my seat. <laughs> we do that all the time. Right? See, what God is doing, God is like, hey, I'm going to free you up. But I want you, me, to both know. You just make sure you tell me every once in a while. I go, God, I'm yours. Okay, cool. As long as you remember that. As long as you know I own you. Go play. Now, but we got an issue when you walk around like you just your own, right? God, like, don't you know I own you? You see that? So he's trying to get the people prepared. He's trying to help them get that. So when he takes his senses, it's nothing more than him just saying, I just want to remind you to always keep in your mind who owns you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing, guys. He goes on. Verse 21, 17 through 21. I'm sorry, can I just pause? Let me just make sure I don't miss something here. The whole concept of why does he own us? The whole concept of atonement. Don't you see it? It's again and again there. In, in Exodus 25 through 30, think of how many times you've heard me up here talking about the atonement. God shedding his, like basically him revealing in these texts that there needs to be a shedding of blood because of sinful man. And then God saying, this is the gospel. Then God saying, you've seen that for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years, thousands upon thousands of animals, daily, weekly, yearly. Blood has to be shed. Blood has to be shed. And then God says, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. That's what Jesus does. He comes, he's that perfect sacrifice, and he says, we don't need this. He says, I become the altar and the sacrifice. You don't need this building no more. I've done that. Now in faith, you can experience all that comes in that with perfection. P- payment of sin is huge. I remember when I was in Turkey. I mean, you, when you, you know, I deal with uh, you know, brothers that are Muslim in their faith and I'm talking with them. I mean, we were in Turkey. That was the one thing that always got young brothers, right? Payment of sin. 
just apologetic for you guys if you're ministering to Muslims. I think you would agree if you've done it, if, you have, if you've dealt with Muslims. Man, you, you can talk all day about, they'll tell you we have four different Bibles, that's the Gospels, you know, and they, there's all these different apologetics. I don't get caught in all that. What we would do when I was in Turkey, I'd just say, my man, okay, well, I can talk, we can talk about the history, the historicity of the Gospels, but can I just ask you a person, just a question? Who pays for your sin? Who pays for your sin? Because Muslims believe they're sinful, right? It's only do. See, we have a lot of, we have a lot in common. They believe in depravity. They believe in a holy God. Okay, so you believe there's a holy God, you're depraved, and that there's something separating, and that that God wants to absolve his justice, that he wants to get his. We're on the same page there. So now I got a question. Who pays? Because, man, I'm really happy right now. Jesus paid for mine. Who paid for yours? And you talk to your brother, and they'll say, well, I'm just, I just hope you, I do these things that God will be. But no, 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 no. We just said God was perfect. <laughs> you see that? The atonement, guys. The centrality of the atonement. I pray for our local body that no one leaves this body not understanding what we say when we say that big word, atonement. That blood had to be shed, and it's either your own or it's Jesus's. Praise God for the atonement. He goes in uh, verse 17 through 21, guys, and then he talks about this, this, this bronze basin, right? Again, I won't read through it because we, of our time, but they're washing their hands and their feet after they do their sacrifice. Now, there's a reason why we're going through all this. Stay with me, guys. This is clear symbolism here that the priest had to be ceremonially consecrated, right, before they went into God's presence. So they had to, they had to make sure that they were atoned for it. They had to be consecrated with the water, and then what God does in Hebrews 7, uh, ch- chapter 7 through 10, what he does is he emphasizes something for us. Praise God. We have the good news. He shows us that hundreds of years, years after year after year, and then Jesus comes and says he didn't have to offer sacrifices for himself as the priest did. He didn't have to go here and pause and say, wait a minute, before I go and offer a sacrifice, let me offer a sacrifice. No, he says, I'm the perfect sacrifice. I'll be the sacrifice for me and the world. Think about that. He's, he, oh man, if we don't see our need, it's a beautiful thing. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, write that address down. That's what's happening there. Is that Malachi is longing for a day where, he, where the priests are actually holy and, they're, and they're, they're presenting righteousness, right? That's what he's talking about. That the priests are supposed to do these things, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working out. Right, that that that, that the, the rituals were not working out in the sense that these guys were corrupt in different ways, and 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 the, the priesthood was all over the place, and he was longing for for righteousness to bring a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus does that. He ends uh, chapter uh, chapter thirty, verse twenty-two through thirty-eight, talking about all the spices. So we have the beginning stages. What is he talking about? He, he's sharing about the, the, in, the altar of incense. He's saying, I'm, you're my people. We, we continue on. He's talking about the ransom uh, that a person is given, that, that, that we are to give to God. What's his point there? You belong to me. We're talking about the, the basin. We were washing of yourself. And then there's a perfect washing. Jesus doesn't have to wash himself. He's already clean. So he cleanses us. Why? What is he, what's going on there? You've been cleansed. You're my people. 
And then he ends by this, 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 these spices and this anointing oil that's made, a special recipe. The scripture says, as you look at it in your own time, it says in the scriptures, it's a special recipe, right? That, hey, man, you can't go and make this at your house and do it at your crib. He says, no, this is only for God, right? This is what I want you to do, and it needs to be only when you're, when you're burning these incense to God is his point here. And obviously, there's practical and symbolic implications here. Uh, you know, the reality is you had all these blood sacrifices going on. It really stinked. It was, it was nasty. So they wanted some fragrance, right? Just practically. Like, man, can we get some, like, you know, some Dove bar or something? Like, what, can, you know, it's crazy. But they also, it was super symbolic. Now, what I want to do is I want to explain real quick um, anointing. Just so that we understand what, what, what that means, because I, I think it speaks to the point here. So uh, Israelites understood that the anointing showed, what anointing showed when you anointed, when you put this oil on someone in this way, in biblical settings, is that you were saying by anointing them, you were setting them aside for God. You were setting the thing aside for God. And, and guys, in this, in this text here, they're anointing priests, they're anointing a tent, they're anointing furniture, and, and in, and in doing so, they're saying we're setting these things aside for God. We're co-signing them to his realm, right? Special possession for God that they think that they're special. Here's a clear message. God is making it really clear in this text that uh, things have to be set apart. They have to be cleansed. They have to be consecrated before they're acceptable to God. We've seen it over and over again. So what is God doing here? What, what is the main point as we look at? What is the main point as we look at God showing us through the author of sacrifice, the washing of the hands, through the incense, the prayers going to the saints? He's saying over and over And over again, you belong to God. Eric, help me apply that. Guys, I think we can apply this. You know why? Because in each of these examples, it shows, man, when you feel like your sin's too much, when you feel like you've, 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 you've damaged one too many relationships, you've You've, you've, you've exalted too many addictions. When you feel like you know you want to love Jesus, but you, but you, you delight in evil, God says, you're my son. You're my daughter. Repent. You can apply that. See, these rituals is to remind you, no, you're mine. You don't have to keep doing that. See, when... When, man, when people lose a baby, when people in our local body can't have children at this stage, when people are dealing with loneliness and they want a relationship, and you think of the prayers of the saints, when a family's rock through losing a loved one, God wants you to remember, 
See, without me, you're just out there floundering. But guess what? No, 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 no. That's not happening, and you're not by yourself. You're a child of God. You belong to God. Because I belong to God, it means, oh, I can, my prayers matter, and God is a comforter, and you can apply that. It's not just ritual, guys. He is trying to solidify in you and me a deep foundational truth that allows you to live. And that is you belong to God. So that affects how you treat your kids. That affects how you do community. How do we love one another? How do we become more selfless? We don't have to consume now because I belong to God. God got my back. I don't need to be conniving and and do all the networking that the world does in the flesh to get a job because I belong to God. I don't need to cheat and and, and work my way through the system like everybody else says, hey, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Just use people until you get what you want. I don't have to do any of that because I serve another king. I belong to God. I don't have to sit and carry the heavy weight of the pains of the world when they hit us, when people break into our house, when we don't have money for certain things that we need in our establishments, when, when pain hits us and relationship hits us and, and when people sin against you and when you sin against people. God says, that's why I became a perfect sacrifice. Yep. That's why I became the perfect cleanser. Yep. That's why I stand, the scriptures say, and I intercede for the saints all day and night. So that you know when you pray, God is praying with you. So now you understand you have power. He says, people, how do I help you get? You are God's children. You belong to God. So when your sin is too much, when the world is too much, when your circumstances are too much, he wants to remind you, you belong to God. You belong to God. We're going to have our response in communion and in tithing offering. And I even hope as you tithe today, you just, it would, your, your theology is a little more infused, right? Oh, I'm just reminding myself, hey, I belong to God. This is all God's. He don't need no money. You're rich. But, and if you're new, we ask you to keep your wallets and your purses to your side. We don't want your money. This is just about worship for us. So please, we're glad you're here. We, we just, we hope that you hear, you hear the good news. We hope that, man, if you, didn't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, we hope that today you're like, oh, so what does it mean to, to know God? What does it mean to experience being his child? By faith. By faith. We we recognize his death, his resurrection. We recognize our sinfulness and we say, God, you're king and I'm not. And you promise I can, oh, man, I can just come to you and confess my sins, repent of my sins and see, oh, by faith, you become my Lord. We just ask that you would do that. You give your life to Jesus today, now, and be his child. You wouldn't have to go through 
all of that, all of the, all of the, the, the rituals are pointing to the things that we go through. It says that heaviness can get poured out on your Savior. We pray you would make that choice. Um, so again, keep your-